can watch CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impacts of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line of this critical issue. Subscribe to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. A platform for an in-depth look in economic matters with leaders and decision makers. This is BizTalk. The BRICS grouping of developing economy giants are adding six new members, sparking a renewed surge of dynamism. There is a huge potential for them to grow into that type of more institutionalized framework. As BRICS expansion unveils a new chapter in global cooperation, a multipolar world is in the making. With enhanced global governance, shared prosperity, a stronger voice for emerging economies, and robust South-South cooperation. There's no doubt that this is a global theme per se, uh, because anyone that is not taking that train is going to be left behind. As BRICS leadership, institutions, and cooperation mechanisms evolve, developing economies are ready to pool resources, share knowledge, and tackle common challenges. BRICS are set to play a pivotal role in fortifying economic resilience in times of uncertainty. I think the potential of cooperation within the framework of BRICS is much broader than just that in the field of economy. Join us on this week's BizTalk as we delve into how BRICS promotes inclusive multilateralism, paving the way for an era of enriched global partnerships. Only on BizTalk, only on CGTN. And welcome everyone to CGTN Biz Talks BRICS Roundtable. I'm Michael Wong here in Beijing. Well, this year the 15th BRICS Summit is held in Johannesburg, South Africa, under the theme BRICS and Africa, Partnership for Mutually Accelerated Growth, Sustainable Development, and Inclusive Multilateralism. Now, the BRICS grouping, of course, includes the developing economy giant of Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, and together, they make up over 40% of the world's population and over a quarter of the world's economic output. In purchasing power parity terms, BRICS nations are now estimated to contribute more to global growth than even the G7. So, let's get more on the 15th BRICS Summit and bring in our panelists. We're joined in the studio by Professor Liu Baocheng, Dean at the Center for International Business Ethics at the University of International Business and Economics. Online, we're joined by Martin Kingston, who is the Steering Committee Chairman at Business for South Africa. Ksenia Alexandrova is the Head of the Press Office at the Russian-Asian Union of Industrialists and Entrepreneurs. And Ashraf Mohammed Naguib is Director of Corporate Strategy and Development at the Egyptian International Shipping Group. So, welcome to all of you. Uh, Professor Liu, I want to start with you on the 15th BRICS Summit and get your take first on the significance of President Xi Jinping attending the BRICS Summit over in Johannesburg, and not only just attending the BRICS Summit, but he's also co-chairing the China-Africa Leaders Dialogue yeah. with South African President Cyril Ramaphosa, and also, in addition, paying a state visit to South yes. Africa as mm -hmm. well. So talk to us about that first. Well, 
the world is in a very rapid transformation in terms of the geopolitical issues, in terms of the geoeconomic issues, and Africa is uh, there uh, about to stand up to their uh, own feet uh, in order to get more integrated growth. And now, you know, the, this is a wonderful opportunity for uh, the uh, uh, South Africa as one of the BRIC countries to host such sort of events. So therefore, uh, it is really a big gala uh, in the first place for uh, the South-South cooperation. Mm. Uh, then the, uh, we also face, uh, secondly, another uh, you know, big issue of the uh, US dollar issue because US dollar has been you know, on a high rise and uh, right now the, many of those countries are paying higher debt rates to uh, international financial institutions and also the uh, some of them face sanctions from the United States in the SWIFT system. So this is a good opportunity for them to discuss whether they can have an alternative way of payment. And I think more fundamentally is really the economic integration where uh, trade and investment, uh, how they can be boosted by combining the support of the development bank uh, so that uh, business, uh, I mean the private sector can join uh, the states uh, all together to engage in infrastructure development to uh, push forward the uh, digital transformation and also infrastructure development. Yeah, a lot on the agenda. Certainly we're going to get through all of that as well throughout yes. this program in terms of economics, in terms of, I guess, diversifying the global monetary system. Because it's right. interesting to think that the first BRICS summit was held back in 2009 in the uh, I guess right aftermath of the global financial crisis of mm -hmm. 2008. And now I think the global economy is once again sort of at a crossroads when it comes That's to right. the global monetary system, trade and rising geopolitics, uh, like you say, Professor Liu. Martin, I want to come to you because, uh, of course, this year's BRICS summit takes place mm -hmm. in your home country. And I want to get your perspective in terms of the significance of this year's summit and President Xi Jinping's state visit to South Africa as well. Martin? And I think it's a manifestation of both concern that people have about changing geopolitical uh, order, the uh, very different economic speeds at which different parts of the world are now progressing, but also the opportunity, as indeed uh, Professor Liu has said, uh, to harness scope for South-South cooperation, to build on some of the institutions that have already been uh, established, such as, of course, the new Development Bank, uh, and to ensure that Africa, uh, which historically has taken a backseat uh, in terms of its ability to make a real impact uh, economically on the global stage uh, can demonstrate the contribution both that it can make and the geopolitical importance uh, of the many countries uh, that are actively involved in partnering uh, with other not only BRICS members uh, but other members of, uh, uh, if you like, uh, uh, multilateral institutions that are going to be here over the coming days. Yeah, what BRICS means for South Africa and what BRICS means for Russia in just a second. But Ashraf, I want to come to you uh, because we were talking about infrastructure. That's important, right? Energy is important. But the sharing of technical expertise, the diffusion of technology, I think is super important. We talk about generative AI every single day now, but a, a lot of people, I guess, still in the developing world, they need to worry about putting food on the table. They need to worry about maybe shelter and clothes. And how can technology support that perhaps, right? Especially developing economy as, as they go through their own green transition. So how do you see BRICS really helping to diffuse technology share technology and we see more innovation cooperation among developing economies through BRICS. What are your thoughts on that? 
there's no doubt that this is a global theme per se, uh, because anyone that is not taking that train is going to be left behind. But that being said, and as per your introduction, um, it is a matter of maturity and sophistication of each of these individual economies. And I talk about Egypt specifically, um, where we have come out of two revolutions in the past decade, um, where there we have a very, uh, how can I say, increased in, in, in large population growth, not as big as China and India and some of the other countries of the BRICS, but we are way up there as well, about 2.7% population growth. Uh, there's a tremendous need for infrastructure. Egypt for the past probably 60 to 70 years has neglected uh, investing and building into infrastructure. And this is what um, the recent government and the recent leadership has been doing over the past probably seven years. Um, and I'd say that there has been a tremendous amount of support, specifically from China and other BRICS countries, but more specifically from China in not the transformation of expertise simply in technology and innovation, but expertise on infrastructure building. Um, and this is seen throughout Egypt uh, that the Chinese government has been um, a tremendous support in rebuilding a lot of the infrastructure in Egypt and building new infrastructure. We have almost about 26 new cities that have been built um, and a lot of that expertise has come in from China. So we build faster, we build bigger, we build more efficiently. The other thing that, that is as well a transfer of expertise in a sense, not so much technology, is on the trade part, how we're building the infrastructure of our ports, how we're building the infrastructure of our trade. So again, I think What's interesting is, you know, Egypt has great bilateral relationships with the individual countries of the BRICS. Um, and we would consider our relationship with China as being strategic, our relationship with India as being strategic. We're seeing tremendous amount of investment, private sector investments in Egypt uh, by these two countries in a lot of manufacturing, distribution, uh, transfer of knowledge, expertise. Um, so I, I think eventually what we're looking at, again, in even the concept of the expansion of BRICS is where do we fit in terms of sophistication, maturity and the requirements, um, our two day requirements, um, which which, like you were saying, we've got people that need to work. Uh, we're not at that point where we're going into robotics and AI and, uh, you know, automation. On the contrary, we need to create more jobs, we need to create more manufacturing, we need to create more trade. Uh, and I think this is why BRICS for us is extremely interesting, because these countries have gone through these experiences since it was termed BRIC 22 years ago, um, and eventually formulated into this uh, wonderful uh, uh, gathering and group. And speaking of representation, Ksenia, I want to come to you because another one of the themes of this year's BRICS Summit is about inclusive multilateralism. And I want to get your perspective in terms of how the BRICS can really promote inclusive multilateralism. Because if you want multilateralism to be inclusive as part of the theme, it sort of, I guess, tells the world that perhaps developing countries didn't feel as included uh, as they say, that their voice is not as represented as they should in the global order right now. What do you think, Asenia? Uh I think uh, the most important question in this field is uh, the expansion of BRICS. And we would recommend perceiving the expansion of BRICS with restrained optimism because 
let me remind you that uh, the expansion of BRICS is not welcomed by all members now, and not all candidates meet uh, the requirements already for full membership. Furthermore, the expansion of BRICS score will significantly complicate the, con the consensus achievement. And regarding this, I would note that uh, the BRICS Plus and BRICS Outreach formats both, by the way, launched on the initi initiative of China in 2022, um, are really good options and they are not only representatives of the core uh, the organization can work but also candidates and in general any countries interested in cooperation i think this format is extremely promising it allows us to organize cooperation in those areas that are really interesting in to non-brics countries without permanent membership and uh, I think the potential of cooperation within the framework of, framework of BRICS is much broader than just that in the field of economy. Uh, you can look at the BRICS structure and estimate the, the number of committees, councils and other bodies within which cooperation is carried out. This is a cultural, scientific and technical tracks, medicine, security issues in various fields uh, and much more. BRICS is not only about the economy. BRICS is about sustainable and diverse development. I think that sometimes BRICS lacks a healthy PR to form a correct idea about themselves. But of course, the organization will have an impact on regional growth and the economic ties and the meaning of its existence and its work is much deeper. Well, that framework might expand. Uh, let's talk about BRICS expansion because that is a huge topic. Professor Leo, I want to come to you on this because uh, the South African ambassador to BRICS uh, was reporting that we've got, what, over 40 countries either directly or indirectly expressing interest to join BRICS. Uh, we, we've seen many large developing economies. We were talking about this before the program, the likes of, for example, Saudi Arabia, Indonesia, um, Iran, Argentina, all expressing interest to join. And I want to get your take in terms of what an expanded BRICS means for, I guess, a multipolar world, but also the attractiveness of this organization with so many large developing economies and smaller emerging and developing economies clamoring to join as well. Well, I think a number of signs, uh, particularly in terms of regional and uh, sectorial uh, institutions uh, on a multilateral basis are really a reflection of uh, the dissatisfaction of those participating members uh, with the status quo, that how the world economy and how the world geopolitics are run. And uh, the, uh, the rise of the BRICS is uh, one of them to answer some of the predicament the current interna international institutions are facing. So uh, first, it is uh, something that is there to uh, serve as alternative to the global uh, financial institutions like IMF and ADB, et cetera, and uh, that really complement the deficiency of finance in infrastructure development. So that was the starting point. Second, uh, the more of the South countries are dissatisfied uh, with the relationship that is uh, uh, being carved uh, and dominated by the Northern world where uh, they, they realize the Northern world are unable to deliver uh, the existing commitment, not to mention about to unearth or unlock their potential. Now, with the expansion of those members, uh, I th uh, my advice is that uh, 
we need to clarify the rule to play before we just go uh, for explosive expansion because uh, it is uh, something about, you know, by unanimous agreement within the uh, five countries, uh, you can really make a decision. But if you have, you know, 30 or 40 countries that are there, you need to have a very clear charter. You need to have a, work, uh, a uh, working mechanism. And also, you also need to, uh, you know, uh, something that can benchmark with WTO, uh, you know, some sort of arbitration mechanism if you know, certain disputes really arise. Mm. So, therefore, the, I, uh, another advice is that uh, the petition members should also uh, do a better homework uh, in order to get ready. Uh, for example, when China was really uh, getting ready to join some of the international organizations like WTO, like RCEP, and now also you know, getting prepared for CPTPP, is that uh, they need also to streamline their, uh, their domestic policies uh, so that they can really uh, get more of the uh, synergy and integrity with the common rule yeah. that people can play. It's not only something, uh, uh, it should not really be simply based on a handshake of friendship. Yeah. Martin, how do you think the BRICS mechanism can better unleash the potential of Africa? We're talking about uh, a continent that has over 1.4 billion people. Uh, a very young continent as well. And I just always feel there's so much potential to be unleashed in terms of Africa when it comes to development, when it comes to growth, in terms of what Africa can contribute to the world. So how do you think BRICS, especially an expanded BRICS, Martin, can, can really help to contribute to Africa's growth and development? Well, obviously it provides, uh, Michael, a very significant marketplace, both in terms of investment and trade, uh, partners and relations. But I'd like to go back, uh, if I may first, to what Ashraf was saying. Mm. Now, in the first instance, uh, I believe that uh, it's critically important that as a continent, uh, Africa gets its own act together, uh, that it's able to uh, speak uh, in unity, that it's got common policies and objectives, that it understands what are its priorities as a continent on a continental basis. Because of course, we need to distinguish between bilateral relationships between individual countries and continental relationships or relationships between uh, blocks, both investment, trading, and indeed geopolitical blocks. I'm sure uh, we'll come on to that uh, in a moment. Uh, and part of getting one's house in order is making sure that we have the right systems, processes, uh, governance structures, uh, that we have the right funding mechanisms available either internally uh, or that we can access externally the very rules-based approach that Professor Liu was actually referring to uh, earlier on in this conversation. Now, my own view uh, is that there is tremendous opportunity, both bilaterally and continentally, between uh, individual countries in Africa, South Africa being one, of course, uh, but the continent more broadly, um, as well as some of its BRICS, BRICS counterparts. When we sort of start talking about expanding, uh, whether it's to uh, 40 or a smaller number of countries, we need to think about uh, you know, the enormous uh, imposition that is in terms of making sure that we've got uh, an appropriate level of alignment. The bigger problem about expansion uh, is that we default generally uh, to the lowest common denominator. We're not able to drive through uh, key issues, whether that be, for example, on the ocean economy, whether that be uh, on climate change or the just transition, uh, which are critical, or indeed, you know, the role of cities uh, and infrastructure, as we were talking about earlier, uh, in driving economic growth uh, and activity. 
Uh, and as I was saying earlier on, one of the challenges that Africa has had is that it has not achieved its uh, theoretical potential. Right. So I guess this summit definitely will talk about the criteria for membership, yes. right? Because like you mentioned, right now it operates by consensus, five countries. But as the group continues to expand, there will be more voices into this grouping and we're going to see how this mechanism, I guess, functions with more members. Exactly. Um, Ashraf, I want to get your take on this because Egypt has now formally applied to join the BRICS grouping. And if you want to follow up on any of uh, Professor Liu's thoughts, please welcome to, to share your thoughts on, on that with us as well. And why do you think Egypt wants to join the BRICS? Um, the, the New Development Bank is very important to Egypt at this point. Um, and not an exclusive uh, direction of access to finance, but again, it is a more options that, that we have on the table for Egypt to be able to have access to finance. And the New Development Bank gives us this, how can I say, flexibility to be able to get faster access to finance, probably larger uh, access to finance, more efficient with less conditionalities, uh, but that does not negate the fact that we still do access finance from other international organizations like the IMF, like the African Development Bank, like the African Import-Export Bank, and a lot of other institutions that have been, uh, how can I say, playing a very important role in financing the future in e of, of Egypt. Um, that being said, BRICS is extremely important, and again, because we have quite considerable trade with um, at least the eastern part of the BRICS countries, such as India, such as China, and such as Russia, not so much with South Africa and Brazil, where we still need to explore the potential of growth there. Um, but this is very important for us. And one of the major issues that Egypt um, faces, as a lot of other countries, but more specifically Egypt, when it comes to this bilateral, multilateral trade with that part of the world, is accessibility to foreign currency. Um, and that hinders a lot of the business that we're trying to do together. And mm -hmm. BRICS opens up a very interesting option, and which allows us to be able to move a little bit further from um, the requirements of accessibility to foreign currencies such as the US dollar or the euro, and be able to do business uh, with our own currency. Uh, we've mentioned the New Development Bank several times now. I want to talk about the issue of local currencies in just a second. But Ksenia, I want to uh, come to you and get your take in terms mm -hmm. of what an expanded BRICS could potentially mean for regional growth and uh, what it could mean for new business opportunities for your organization. Uh, the expansion of BRICS is connected to one of the major concepts of BRICS. It's multipolar, multipolar world, as you know. and. Um, one of uh, the main questions of the upcoming summit is, an, is a greater use of local currencies, as you've mentioned, and even the possibility of a BRICS currency, which may have the potential to challenge the dominance of the US dollar. But we have to mention that any expansion of the BRICS uh, grouping could determine the speed with which the bloc adopts commercial and financial systems and uh, the use of the local currencies as well. Uh, however, as you know, uh, uh, in terms of our organization, uh, we already have uh, some trade uh, relations uh, with the use of yuans and rubles. And uh, uh, I think uh, for our union, the expansion of BRICS will be uh, a very good uh, a very good option uh, to uh, promote our 
abilities uh, in the region and uh, globally. Martin, I mean, when it comes to local currencies, uh, a lot has been said about this BRICS summit. Would you say, I mean, th there's this term called de-dollarization that's constantly being thrown around, I guess, in the media these days. But would you say it's more about de-dollarization or is it more about trying to make the global financial system fairer, more inclusive, more representative of the developing economies when the BRICS talk about uh, local currencies? I'm not sure that there's a distinction between the two. I think there's certainly a move away from uh, de-dollarization, exactly as you've said, and that goes hand in glove with finding a more equitable, more appropriate currency uh, that is reflective of, uh, of flows that take place. Having said that, uh, you know, we've seen a very significant experience in the experience, uh, an experiment, I have to say, in the European Union. Uh, and at the moment, those are huge challenges on a global basis. It's not as though we can live you know, isolated from one another. Uh, but I would rather that we have uh, prudent, conservative projects uh, in terms of how we take the BRICS project forward uh, than what I consider to be an extremely ambitious and probably unachievable project in even the long term uh, of a uh, BRICS uh, currency, despite the aspirations that you refer to and some of the geopolitical uh, drivers that underpin uh, that view would be my own assessment. I think we need to be very focused, very disciplined on how we take what we've got and we build on it pragmatically with the resources uh, that we have at our disposal, with the primary focus being uh, to ensure that we can actually shore up, uh, we can reinforce uh, the economic potential uh, of uh, those countries uh, that are emerging uh, into the sunlight but still have a long way to go. Uh, many of them, I'm afraid, are currently in Africa. Right. And Ashraf, you had some thoughts on this as well. I want to get your thoughts on this uh, also, because again, 2009, that was the first BRICS summit. And when we talk about local currencies, it was that time where we had the financial distress in advanced economies, and then that spilled over to the developing world. Now, again, it's sort of the opposite, where it's super high interest rates in very short span of time. And that's also, again, spilling over to the development, uh, developing world in terms of perhaps capital outflows. So um, your thoughts? Well, again, it's it, in my opinion, it's it's by principle. I, I, I want to put aside the political aspect of it and really look at the logical aspect of it. I mean, mm. when when you diversify dependency, then then you diversify your risk as well, and and you can spread that. And we've seen that since two thousand eight, when we've and, and we've seen a lot of these, you know, f economic fiscal cycles going through that have been extremely devastating for countries like Egypt and, and other developing nations. And I think it's just very logical as we move forward. Um, and, and we, you know, the globe lives in adversity yeah, per se. I mean, we've been through one crisis and the other, um, and we're trying to, to, to create this, this unification uh, and hence dependency on one currency, whether it be the dollar or what, what other name that, that we can put to it, um, it, it, it is about time that, that we have, as you mentioned, a more fair basis of how we trade together and, and uh, options. I mean, we have to leave ourselves with different options. And I think what BRICS is trying to put on the table is uh, to give options to countries like Egypt and South Africa and, and other developing nations uh, to, to spread the risk, uh, per se, uh, and be able to maneuver a little bit with flexibility and, and less dependency.
Okay, fascinating discussion. Many thanks so much for your thoughts on this, Professor Liu, and our thoughts also to Ksenia, Martin, and Ashraf. And that's going to do it for this edition of our BRICS Roundtable here on BizTalk. I'm Michael Wong in Beijing. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you again next time.